Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Okay, welcome back to the podcast from the Center for Internet Security, Cybersecurity Where You Are, where we try to bring some a little bit of light and logic to some of the complex topics that we all deal with every day. Uh, joined again this week by my co-host, Sean Atkinson. Hello, Sean. Hi, Tony. Yeah, welcome back. Always a pleasure to, to catch up with you. We have two guests today, uh, Lenny and Thomas. Lenny, welcome to the podcast and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for having me. Um, I am a threat hunter currently for an MDR and uh, I've been in cybersecurity roughly, I want to say nine years at this point, working as a, a cybersecurity analyst and a threat analyst and uh, now a hunter. And I'm um, very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, our, our pleasure. And uh, Thomas, how about you? Hey, I'm uh, Thomas Sego. I'm the uh, youngest and most attractive of this guy, Tony Hill. I'm, uh, I, <laughs> I work with CIS and the controls team. I do the mappings and such. All right. Welcome aboard, Thomas. Good, good to have you here. So, so our topic today is uh, getting into the business or how do you start in a career in cybersecurity? So I'm approaching, well, actually, I'm up a little bit past 45 years now. So uh, there might be some lessons from how I started, but it was so long ago, I don't really remember. And I'm hoping that Sean remembers how he got started in this, this business. And we'll talk about some of the, um, the big changes and challenges that, that we see for for people who are trying to break in. And I'll just start with a, a bit of an anecdote here. I'm out in the public talking about the business a lot. And one of the most frequent things I hear from people is, how do I get that first job in cybersecurity? You know, I hear all the radio ads or whatever, there's so many open jobs. I went back and got a certificate or a second degree and I can't get a starting job. So I think there's a, uh, in addition to the just the challenge of starting a career, there's also what I would call high friction for people coming into the workforce uh, for the first time. So we'll, we'll explore all these in a little bit more as we go through this. But Sean, hey, uh, just for a reminder, you've talked about it before. Tell us a little bit about how you wound up in the cybersecurity business. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, I called myself a child of the SOX 404 requirement. So in 2004, uh, an organization I was uh, working for knew I was in the space. I was doing a degree in uh, some technology management capability. And it was, um, well, we need someone to go through the SOC 404 compliance requirements for technology. Uh, would you like to do it? And uh, would you like to be now an auditor? And I said, absolutely. This is, uh, it allows me to investigate and understand and start to pull apart uh, some of the business processes and the technology that was in that space. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I call myself a child of uh, 404, as it were, uh, and not the, <laughs> not the HTTP code request either. <laughs> now, you were already headed towards a career in IT, Sean? I was, yeah. So I had uh, worked in uh, manufacturing and so was doing some uh, operational technology, uh, but it was not really satisfying this need and... Um, you know, I'd had a few uh, experiences in terms of seeing um, others working in the technology space, mostly system administration. And it was something that I wanted to get into, but I wanted to focus on the security side of things. Uh, and so that opportunity opened up some avenues into disaster recovery, business continuity. And I took that and kind of reversed it all the way back to uh, really this idea of conceptualizing technology uh, for supporting business processes. 
Yeah. So from really early in your career, you were looking at kind of a holistic look of the cybersecurity, you know, it's really technology, but also really directly about the business and how, how business operations run and how they're tied to the mission and so forth. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, Lenny, how about you? Now, so, so you are a threat hunter. Boy, there wasn't even such a job not that many years ago. So how did you wind up in there? Well, um, I going into college, I truly, I had no idea what I wanted to do. It was one of those things, you know, you're like a teenager and they're like, what do you want to do the rest of your life? And <laughs> it's quite a question. Um, so I started out in college undeclared, got into mass comm because honestly, I just wanted a radio show and that was fun. Um, and then ultimately started going into healthcare, nursing, and kind of liked it, wasn't quite into it, became an EMT, and then went to school to become a paramedic. And while I was there, I loved it, but I was not in love with it. And they told me about this new program at the college called Information Security. So I went and spoke to one of the instructors for that program, thinking it was going to be like 30 minutes. I ended up talking to him for three hours because it was just, I, I didn't know this was a field. I didn't know it was a career. Um, and I switched my major the next day. I joined the college CTF team, and that was it. I haven't looked back since. Wow. Just now, right into it. Now that is, hey, uh, so that's a pretty convincing bit of advice you got there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was the head of the paramedic program, too. He was like, I've, I've been watching you. I see the way you think. I kind of think I have a good idea of who you are, and I think you would be good for this program. It sounds like something you'd really take to. And he was 100% right. And uh, I actually went back to him after I had my first um, – you know, big kid job in cybersecurity and thanked him and, you know, really thanked him for pointing me in that direction because it did change my life and really solid person to do that. You know, to have someone, you know, say, hey, you know, as much as I like having you in my program, I think you'd be better suited here, you know? Yeah, that's a great story. And for from someone outside the the technology and cyber field to be pointing you towards it was really quite a step. So that's that's a, a yeah. fascinating, you know, not, not, the, uh, not the plan that you had, right? You were already well down a different path already. Oh, absolutely not. I sunk a lot into trying to become a paramedic. It, it takes time and um, a lot of commitment. Ooh, stressful. <laughs> a lot of work too. So, um, you know, it's kind of hard to turn your back on all that. You know, there's sunken cost fallacy thinking I put X amount of years and money and effort into doing this. But that was the allure of cybersecurity to me. It felt like it just fit. You know, it wasn't something I had to try to like or try to be interested in or force myself to read about. It was just, it clicked. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and, and yeah, so I'm very fortunate. Can you go back again. So what 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 did that instructor see in you that really triggered the thought that you would be you would thrive in the career like this? The uh, the paramedic instructor. Yes. Mm -hmm. He said I was. He, I think he phrased it as like I see the way you kind of logically have a process when you're going when you're approaching a problem. Um, he said, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't out in the field. <laughs> uh, as far as emergency medicine goes, some of it has to just be second nature, know exactly what you're doing and go for it. Other times, you know, you do have the time to be able to go through different options and scenarios to get to the best possible outcome. And I was more of the latter person. I, I didn't quite have the same, I think, reaction that some of the other students might have when it came to physically reacting and, you know, going to to do certain things as far as a first responder goes. Mm -hmm. I liked being able to kind of mull over my options and see what was the most effective, which isn't always the best thing to do when time is not on your side with a patient. Now, I never hurt anybody, <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, I worked out in the field and I worked with real patients and I, you know, I wasn't kicked out or anything like that for doing anything bad. But, you know, it was just... Not the best fit, I yeah. think. Well, you know, it's it's a again an unusual path in, but it turned out one of the best cyber people I ever knew was also a trained EMT, and so uh, you know maybe mm -hmm. there's something in common there that we can search for. 
Hey, uh, Thomas, tell us tell us a little bit about your background in this. Sure, sure. Well, I, I similarly didn't exactly go into college intending to end up in tech. Um, if you ask average college freshmen what they want to do with their life, the answer they're probably going to give is the exact opposite of whatever my parents do. Um, <laughs> So I, I studied economics in undergrad, and my, my passion there was very much in like the environmental, natural resource, economics side of things. I went through and like uh, dug up my photo of college papers at one point, and they are all about like fish or aquaculture and like counting groups of uh, species mm -hmm. and, and conservation concerns and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I was always somewhat inspired by uh, by my old man here, and I was also somewhat inspired by uh, the summer after sophomore year when I spent that entire summer cutting grass and decided that maybe something that involved waking up at four in the morning should be like pretty far, you know, pushed to the back. And I started to think about maybe following a career more than a passion. And uh, I so I, I took a intern job uh, over the summer after that. Um, with a nonprofit in the field, and I just never looked back after that. Yeah, that's uh, you, you know, and I, I, people often joke, right? You know, when you're in college, you're way too young to be making big decisions about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. But most of us wind up making decisions that inevitably follow us for a long period of time. So, yeah, that that is neat. And so you so you start to intern with folks. Uh, one of the big names in the, in the business, Mike Asante. Uh, the late Mike Asante was really a pioneer in uh, IT, uh, IoT kind of security. So any first impressions the first time you bumped into technologists and so forth that really worked this kind of thing? It was, um, I think starting in a nonprofit was part of what uh, kept me in the industry, oddly enough, because I was just like, it resulted in me being an intern on these phone conversations with a bunch of people that had been in the industry for as long as I had been alive. And it was really impressive to me just how seriously uh, you could take this stuff and how you could, you know, turn around these problems in your head and come up with solutions. And the combination of, of the people side of it and the technology side of it. And um, it just, it was inspiring in a, in a weird way. It was like being a tiny little knight of cybersecurity as I, you know, was making like ah. 10 bucks an hour or something, listening to people who's, consulted for you know more money than i made in the summer got it yeah that's uh, interesting yeah I, you know it, so mike mike just to, to share briefly you know i mentioned being 45 years in this and believe me this was not the p career plan i had either undergraduate in math and just by accident a chance meeting in the um uh, in the faculty area in my, during my junior year uh, you know got pointed towards the national security agency as a career and so started there in mathematics. But even then, I had no idea I'd wind up in technology and computer science. And I only switched uh, in, the I think, about 1981, I switched from math to computer science because I figured out that if I did so, I could get the government to buy me an Apple II Plus to have on my desk, which was like the coolest technology of the day. And this idea of computing and analysis, you know, when a, I grew up with computers filled rooms you know, required special power. And this idea of having something on your desktop that you could conceptually understand was just fascinating to me. So it led me down this path also. Hey, Sean, uh, let me come back to you just a second here. So if you don't mind me interrogating you as one of our guests instead of a co-host. But so when you made that shift there, right, you, you brought technology kind of with you. But what, what are the really the, the skills or the attributes that really served you in the, and have led you to the place that you are today? 
Oh, wow. Um, I, I think a skill is perseverance. Uh, and I say that from a couple spaces, is one, um, security's not always going to go your way, right? And there's going to be a, a messages that you're putting out for best practice that are not always received in the right way. And so you've got to persevere over time. I also say that with the technology itself, and we're on such a velocity of change with technology that keeping up requires that perseverance, understanding, building that knowledge, that really you want to take with you across, you know, that career path as it were. So I went from internal audit, I went to system administration, I went to leading a security group, secure development, then all the way now here through governance. And so I reached a, a space that I brought that auditing mindset with me. And I thought Lenny put it well, is the, the way I break down elements is to look at it from an, a kind of an audit perspective in terms of who has access, what data's in play, what systems and that type of thing. So it's kind of the way I think. And so that brought me right back around to uh, working on governance, risk and compliance. And so I'd done that for a high tech manufacturer for a number of years. Uh, and it was again, the same perseverance and now working not locally, but worldwide with a number of different manufacturing facilities in order to bring those concepts together. So it was uh, total perseverance through that. And then I think in some cases, um, it's also managing expectation as well. You can't know everything in the space. And believe me, I've tried to, to go down multiple paths, but it, it never works, right? So there's elements of specialization, but there's also an element of the scoff skills of working with others, using their talents and techniques to help inform kind of your program and inform what you want to do and what you need to get out of uh, respective skills. So always having a diverse network is absolutely phenomenally benefit beneficial to anybody in this space. So uh, again, I think we've got some great opportunities in terms of networking in that space, Tony, that we can reach out to others that have been here, you know, through podcasts, our uh, esteemed guests, and really others in the community. There's a strong cybersecurity community out there that right. we can tap into. Yeah, Sean, you know, your, your, your answer reminds me, we had a, an earlier episode about the, the role of uh, and the importance of soft skills in, in a cybersecurity career. And you know, you're a living example of that, right? You have to have a, a, a strong technical understanding, but to be able to ally it with the business, to make the convincing argument, to uh, ask people to do things that they may not choose to do on their own. There, there's an incredible range of skills. And I, I sometimes I think, you know, when you tell people you have a career in cybersecurity, you're not actually giving them that much information because there's such a <laughs> wide range of things to be done. I think we see it with our guests here and with, with your career and mine also. Uh, Lenny, tell me a little bit about, you mentioned, I think, Capture the Flags, one of the early things. Uh, any thoughts on the role of these? Th this was a big thing a few years ago, the role of gaming and, and competition as a way to find people with the kind of aptitude for the business who may or may not have the technical background, but have the mindset to be successful. Any thoughts on how, how you found that? Is that a useful way for us to find new talent or for people to enter the business? I think it absolutely is. I mean, it was when I was in school um, because a lot of the collegiate competitions at least had a job fair sort of section. So in the middle of the competition um, or the boot camp or whatever it was that we were doing, there would be a time where uh, there would be the uh, job fair and you would get to meet potential employers. They would get to see kind of who was doing well in the competition and make introductions. And um, sometimes, you know, if you've placed or if you're a winner or something, that kind of gets your name out there as well. 
But it's also good for making contacts with the other students because, you know, hey, today you're all students. Tomorrow, who knows where, who knows who's going to end up where, you know? Um, so even then, when, when I was doing CTFs then as a student, they were almost all in person. So we would have to, on the weekend, um, drive to different states and stay in really awful motels and stuff, <laughs> haul all of our equipment with us and um, haul it into the competition and sometimes lose, sometimes do better. And, uh, you know, it was a whole process to be able to do that. But it was 100 percent something that I would recommend if someone has the opportunity to do them today. And now even more so, there are ones online. There's so many CTFs and there are sites like Try Hack Me and Hack the Box and Offsex Proving Grounds where you can do these sort of contained competitions and, and capture flags and learn. And then there's communities built around those as well. So you don't even have to leave your house to find these communities and find these people who are taking their own time to learn. Uh, so it, I definitely think for both sides, for people looking for opportunities for jobs and for making connections and also employers looking for candidates, CTFs and CTF communities are the place to go. Yeah, that's, a, you know, the, the, the idea there, right, is a, is a really sound one. And, and uh, you know, finding people that have the kind of an aptitude, right, who, who like the, the game or the chase or the puzzle. And, you know, those are often things that are hard to teach, but you can spot. And that, that was the notion there. And I think it's proven out pretty pretty true. You know, part of the, what I did during my government career was, you know, we had operational centers that we were running. And, uh, you know, with all credit to, uh, to you, Lenny, and to folks like you that hunt for threats for a living, there's a lot of work and a lot of frustration, right? And a lot of garbage to sort through to try and find useful information. And it takes the kind of perseverance that Sean talked about. These are uh, intense, uh, high energy things. And the people that you know, that, that man the watch centers around the world that work in the socks and so forth. I mean, they're just amazing. You know, they're the kind of folks that really thrive in it. And for me, it would be burnout work, you know, in a couple of years. But for, you know, for those that uh, worked in my groups that really uh, carried that kind of a load, it was really astounding to see it. And again, it's, it's the kind of thing that's, it's hard to teach that sort of energy, right? How to, how, how to be excited about that. Uh, just for context, one of the, uh, uh, sort of ancestors of, of today's competition world was something we ran at NSA called the Cyber Defense Exercise. And it's still around under a different name, but it was a, a contest among the military service academies uh, and, uh, you know, West Point and Naval Academy and so forth. And, uh, you know, I was the uh, the management sponsor, not the originator of it, but I, I wrote the checks, you know, for the government checks for it. But it was fascinating to me to see the level of energy and competition. And it, it became... I'll say, you know, for us geeky types, right, the equivalent of a sports trophy to, to win that. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, once I sort of saw it in that perspective, what, what we were doing then was really energizing the next generation of military leaders. And so finding people that were, you know, sort of got it technology wise, but also were passionate enough to really put that kind of energy in it, into it, or, and these were officers, so they would eventually be running organizations that had to do this kind of work. It was really an important contribution, I think. Sean was making an excellent point with perseverance and, and like you were saying, having that kind of energy, because I don't think I've encountered a domain in this field where that sort of energy or at least a bit of it isn't pretty much a hard requirement because everyone I mentor, I say you have to make friends with failure fast because you're going to be hitting your head against the wall. You're going to be banging it on the desk. There's going to be stuff you just don't know or that you just can't grasp. And you have to become comfortable with that to be successful in this field because, you know, Sean was saying you can't know everything. Um, and part of it is surrounding yourself with people who can help you with that, who do understand it, that you can work with and rely on in order to get to the next place that you need to get. 
Yeah, that's a great, great lesson for especially for someone so young. Hey, Thomas, speaking of perseverance, so th Thomas is the person I, I uh, conferred the honorary title of chief cartographer to. That is the map maker from what we do at CIS best practices to essentially every other framework that that he can find. And uh, boy, that 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 is a, a job of perseverance, Thomas. That, and it also gave you though a chance to to sort of see the world of security frameworks and recommendations and so, so forth. So tell me a little bit about the, the learning that you've gone through there. And, you know, is that a, is that grunt work? Is it useful? I mean, how do you feel, you know, what, what are you getting from that kind of experience? Because it's certainly not, nothing that you would have ever dreamed ahead of time you'd be doing. Yeah, I mean, it can be grunt work from time to time, but I also like love opportunities to kind of dip my toe in a lot of different fields so that's resulted in me you know learning about the meaningful frameworks and, and many of the uh many of the subgroups within uh cybersecurity and far beyond so i greatly enjoy that part of it sometimes you're moving very fast sometimes you're not moving nearly as fast but you know as long as you overall keep in a good pace you're you're doing mapping work and it's and it's crucial for it to get done and if I'm not doing it, then some poor intern at some of these companies is doing it and doing a worse job. <laughs> well, well I said. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's an unusual and uh, I think interesting view of the world. I, I know uh, Sean is probably uh, sending sympathetic vibes your way because he has to deal with a lot of these things as the as the CISO for a modern security company. That is you know, how, how to deal with the world of security frameworks and compliance and regulation and so forth. And so the other thing that, and so, so Sean talked about telling people things that they may not want to hear or bringing consensus on tough issues, right? And that's part of what you do at CIS, Thomas, right? Is, is put together, you know, you're not going to get a mapping that 100% of the world is happy with on day one. And so there's bringing other people in to, to uh, offer their opinions and to try to bring them to consensus. Any, any discussion about sort of the soft skills and how it applies to the work that you're doing? Uh, yeah, and um, in my first job in the industry, there was a certain amount of um, volunteer wrangling in it. And that was one of the things that I kind of liked about it is that there were a number of meetings where it was it was me and a group of volunteers and all of them had knew all kinds of stuff that I'd never heard of and that was kind of fun. Um, now, trying to build a consensus is far from the easiest thing in the world and uh, is something that we can always kind of develop more at. Uh, what the whole consensus uh, process looks like after a mapping depends a lot on the mapping and how much internal uh, expertise we have on it. Um, but uh, the real question there is, uh, isn't even necessarily about consensus or anything it's it's a it's a soft skill question of how do you best utilize like an hour of a volunteer's time a week um which leads you down all other kinds of paths and organization methods of it's exactly how you do that because it, obviously it makes the most sense at least to me in our way of doing things to do the initial mapping yourself and to seek uh seek volunteer guidance at the review process because some amount of that mapping is just grunt work that you don't really uh you can't really get your volunteers to do easily um but building a consensus from them and trying to figure out you know i don't have time to go line by line through this mapping can i go through and flag the most suspicious ones or you know the the part of the mapping target that i think is going to be the most trouble do i have an export in in mobile or in networks uh, if it's a framework that deals heavily in that, and how can I leverage them at just that specific?
Yeah, that's a great point because I, one of the sayings I use for CIS, and I, I hope Sean will appreciate it. I say, even though we run, you know, our, our business model at, at the Center for Net Security uh, is based upon volunteerism, but volunteer labor doesn't come for free. <laughs> you know, that is, you need to organize it, right? You have to, uh, as, as you said, Thomas, you know, everyone that is a good volunteer, almost all of them have a day job. And so you're getting bursty work, right? An hour at a period of time here and there. And you want to make best use of that respect that they do have a day job. And so how do I organize this? And I think this, this skill, and, and I think Sean hinted at it too, getting people who don't have to listen to you to pay attention is a really important part of this business because it is complicated. And so there's a lot of uh, cat herding, uh, you know, so forth, so forth to, to bring folks around. Sean, I want to come back to you on an, uh, a th- so on um, the way that people come into the field. So many folks I know wind up coming into the field from some aspect of IT operations, uh, trouble ticketing, help desk, and that sort of stuff. And you've, you've got to see that a, uh, a lot in your career, right? Watch people come. Is that a, is that a useful way to, for folks to come in? Does it help them or is it sort of uh, too... Um, you know, too focused or, or any thoughts like that? No, I think it's a great way. Uh, I, you know, really any opportunity to move into cybersecurity, you know, I'm going to be uh, advocating for because this is, this is my passion. This is what I do. But from the IT help desk perspective, from a system administrative perspective, you're bringing um, those perspectives to security and you're... In a lot of cases, you either understand it from the end user perspective in terms of implementing those security controls and the reason why. You know, help desk, you've got to do a lot of kind of that. You're talking to people that uh, sometimes are not having the best day that they've ever had, right? And they're reaching out to you for help and you're working them through that process. That's what we do in security literally every day. <laughs> and so we're, it's those t- uh, talents and techniques and over time building that capability, very useful. I say the same with system administration as well as, uh, you know, an underlying knowledge of the systems, construction, those um, elements working together in order to build an underlying system that enterprises work uh, from, on, depend upon, uh, incredibly valuable. So I always... um, you know, uh, purport that either some network experience or exposure going through internship and just being exposed to the space from a different perspective of security is always going to be beneficial. I, I always think it brings a new perspective yeah. that we need. No, I think there's there's something to that, Sean, and that, uh, you know, watching things break is really good instruction for yes. the security <laughs> business, right? Because it's it's just what the the sense that I get is that uh, if you don't work in it, it's hard to appreciate how complex and fragile the technology is, you know, how things can go wrong and how tedious it can be to track down something that has gone wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I, I often joke, um, you know, when you think about things like code boot camps and how people get in, I said, I wrote, I wrote software long enough in, early in my career to realize that no responsible employer should ever pay me to write software. You know, because I, I and I was I had to tell the boss my standard answer. Oh, don't worry, I'm just tracking down the last bug right now. And of course, there was always one more last bug. So, but I learned a ton from understanding the way software operated. At that time, I was looking at embedded systems, right? So very low-level, interrupt-driven kind of machine controller things, and and it is a messy business. But the couple years I spent developing things was incredibly important. Uh, when I started to look at the analysis of security flaws, you know, and security flaws can be inadvertent or they can be deliberate. 
And so I think that was always a, a really important thing for me. Another thing that I'll mention, Sean, uh, that uh, again, I ran some big operational stuff back in, in, my, in my government days. You know, there's no, um, we had a very big crisis, just a, a quick anecdote, a really big crisis that went from, you know, five people working on it to many, un an uncount uncountable number of people working on it over a weekend. And uh, we wound up having to set up three shifts uh, doing work kind of uh, around the globe. And at some point I looked up and realized the, the shift leaders for two of the three shifts, uh, there was not a college degree between them. They were ex-military, warrant officers, very technical, but they just had the knack for what needed to get done. And I, I joked, uh, I'm not sure there's a computer science program in the country that teaches you how to be cool under fire. And they were not literally under combat fire, but you know the, the pressure to deliver results. And so it was a combination of the technical understanding, but also this you know, ability to deal with the unknown and the fast changing and so forth, which kind of takes us to the, the things that Linny mentioned about. Again, maybe EMT was not bad preparation for this, Linny, because this idea of having to deal with lots of unknowns and changing information, right? And the, it seems to me that's a part of the threat hunting business that you're in, is that you, know, you, you don't just hunt right? Because the, the ocean that you're hunting is too vast. So you've got to pull information together from lots of sources. And so tell me a little bit about, you know, how do you learn that, right? Because as, as far as I can tell, threat hunting is really a, a career field that's still in its infancy. Uh, truly it is. And it, it's funny, I was just talking about this with my manager the other day, we were discussing it. And, and I, I do get the question when people find out that I am a threat hunter uh, from people mostly not necessarily really in cybersecurity yet, kind of people who are still sort of like considering joining or looking into resources. And they're like, how do I become a threat hunter? And the best answer, and we both agree this is not the best answer, but it's true for right now, is experience is really what you need to be an effective threat hunter. Um, and that can be from any number of places. Uh, for me, it was working as an analyst for as many years as I did, because there's this sense of looking at something and at the very least, understanding what you're looking at is not right, that there's something that needs to be looked into further. Even if you're not necessarily quite sure what that indicator is, but looking and seeing something and, say, and seeing that it's not normal. Um, and that's not something that any one class teaches or one any course or one learning path is gonna give you. You know, like you mentioned, it's those moments of trying to troubleshoot or figure something out or researching it to understand what it is that you're looking at. Um, even now, there are times where I see stuff where I see an alert or, um, a finding or something that's being triggered. And I look at it and I think back to ever, however many years ago being a new analyst and, you know, sweating bullets and being like, oh God, my boss is going to ask about this. What am I going to tell him? I don't know about it yet. And furiously researching it to be able to come up with an answer. Um, I go back to those days uh, quite often, even when I'm taking like certification tests, you know, I can think back to the material that I read in the book. I can think back to the labs I did, but really it's the experience and the fumbling and the failures and the successes that I um, that I that I cite the most when I'm looking into things. So um, experience really is, I think, right now what is needed to be an effective threat hunter, since it is such a young um, kind of newish role. You know, I hadn't heard of it, I don't think in the past, maybe three years, maybe three years ago might have been the soonest I'd heard of it. But even so, people don't understand um, necessarily what it is or yeah. what's involved in I, it. You know, when it's, when it started up and there's some historical information uh, about it, uh, and, you know, I had a very tiny role in it back in the startup of it, back in the government, but, mm -hmm. 
But the uh, you know people want to want to leap to the drama, right? Oh, it's exciting, you know. Go, yeah. Go hunt the threats. But <laughs> you know, as you know, that's um, that's in there. But there's yeah. a lot of knowledge, right? And there's a lot to to know. You can't just look randomly in this ocean of packets and data and settings and all that stuff. And so, really, really having that, you know, there's no. I think it's a Mark Twain thing, right? That good judgment comes from experience, and uh, that often comes from a bad judgment. You know, you make a lot of mistakes, right? You have to learn. And as Sean said, sometimes it's the figuring out how things break or the the things that didn't make sense when you were doing them. And you know, good on you for being able to carry that perspective, right? I learned from all those things that I couldn't figure out before or that I didn't do successfully before. And I think that's a really important part of the, the thinking about how to do this and speaks again to the perseverance that both of you had mentioned as a really important attribute there. I mean, is it, are there times when you feel discouraged, Lenny? Because there's got to be, uh, I'm just telling you, just from the people I've known that have done this, you, you really have to have a pretty, pretty strong sense of, uh, I'm going to get it done. But you must have moments when it's just, it just seems a bit overwhelming or just endless. Oh, 100%. Okay. <laughs> and part of it is having... I, oh, I yeah. just want no, to no, make no. sure you're human <laughs> too, that's, Lenny. That's great. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no. Very much so. And all the other threat hunters I know as well. Um, you know, at, at where I work, the threat hunters were pretty tight-knit. We share. We um, teach each other. We learn from each other. We uh, peer review each other's hunts and stuff like that. And we don't hold anything back. So if someone finds an issue with it or a problem, they're going to call it out in front of everybody. And so we kind of, I kind of like that about us though, because uh, that's how we learn best is having a perspective that we didn't consider presented to us so we can go back and edit our work. And, you know, you'll come up with a threat hunt and another hunter will be like, okay, but what if this, or, you know, have you considered a different log source or have you considered this possibility for false positive if your customer's environment or what have you has this involved, you know, there's all these different things that you might not have considered. And if you had considered them, then now's your time to bring up your rationale as to why you've eliminated that from your hypothesis for the threat hunt. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting place to be. But yeah, oh, there are definitely times where I'm trying to come up with something or I'm editing it or I'm trying to get it to work and it's just not happening. And it, that ugh, it's never good, <laughs> but it's necessary and it's it's great for learning. And um, part of why I, I have to reiterate that experience is pretty essential at this point in being a threat hunter. I can't imagine being someone new to this field and trying to do this. I, I don't think I'd be doing it long. <laughs> right. And one thing you said triggered, triggered a thought too. So an, an old cat like me, you know, I came in, uh, you know, again, late, uh, mid seventies. Let's just say, um, you know, it was a really different time, obviously, and the technology wasn't changing nearly as fast. But the idea was they would hire, you know, someone like me out of college who has potential, and you would come in. And I came in kind of a typical route of that era: a three-year intern program, right, to learn from the masters, you know, to absorb the body of knowledge that had been created ahead of me. And so you gave the example of number one that the field isn't that old. So it's not like there are hundreds of masters for you to learn from. And you're not going to get the comfort of kind of a three-year uh, license to learn, right? To kind of walk your way through it. So you had to create networks of people right, to learn from, to sort of find your way through the unknown and to support each other, right? And that seems like it's going to be more typical for the workforce in the future. That is, you know, you're not going to be sort of passively absorbing the knowledge of the past, you're going to be creating the, the field that you're in. So any other things that are that you're doing around that, Lenny, to, to help you grow in the field or to build a network to learn from? Oh, absolutely. So um, me and um, my boyfriend and a lot of our friends, we stream on Twitch. 
So, like, actually, I think uh, my boyfriend's streaming right now. He streams pen testing stuff and red teaming operations. So he will go and um, do stuff like try hack me or hack the box completely blind. So he's never seen it before. Goes on there and works his way through it, including the parts where he's being where he's really frustrated and has no idea what to do next. That's part of the his his intent of doing it that way, so people can see. You know, there there are lots of like experts online on social media and have their you know YouTube channels and stuff, and a lot of it's educational it's well formatted but it's also edited so you don't see the parts where they're basically screaming at the screen like why isn't this working why isn't this compiling why isn't this you know whereas when he does it on twitch it's live and he is sitting there frustrated and actually having the people watching engage as well give suggestions say hey try this or you know i did this one previously and this wasn't working for me and kind of interact so he does that and so um do a lot of people within our group of friends um, and it's blue teamers, it's red teamers, it's people who are doing research, reverse engineering and malware analysis, all different kinds of domains of cybersecurity. And with that, we're networking. People are finding jobs through each other. Um, they're building up Discord servers where everyone can kind of work together on CTFs as well. Um, and so that's something I'm pretty involved in right now. And I'm trying to do more streaming for blue team related stuff and um, trying to learn more about malware analysis as well and kind of have that out there for other people to hop on and join with me. <laughs> well, that is, you know, that, that's so different than the world I grew up in, Lydia, and really appreciate it because it's, sure. it's what you have to do, right? Again, there are no old cats like me. What what I know technically, frankly, is 30 years out of date. So I'm, I'm not sure you want to look at me as an inspiration, but this idea of creating, you know, and this is, I think, a lesson for anyone who's coming into the field that is building that sort of support network to learn from. You know, when I made mistakes in the old days, I, and Sean may have uh, some sympathy with this, my, my, my head pounding mistakes were literally me pounding my head on the desk all by myself going, why can't I get this <laughs> thing to compile? You know, and then the notion of streaming it live is just like, uh, oh, yeah. is startling to me. But I appreciate the opportunities that you get to really see a lot more knowledge and participate directly in it as opposed to sort of passively absorbing it. So I think it's a really a great lesson for those that are moving in here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thomas, I know you do some of that, but let me, you know, you've been in the, the field a few years and I know that you've had the chance to be around some really experienced people, maybe out of, out of uh, sort of scope to what you knew at the time, but have you given any thought to what are the things that you ought to be targeting to learn over the next few years as you advance your career in this field? I think that um, bearing in mind what you're trying to learn both in the short term and the medium term uh, is is pretty crucial to working in this industry um, because there's so much stuff to learn. And if you're not learning something, you're falling behind. So I, I try and keep, you know, at least shorter term goals on what specific fields I'd like to learn more about or what specific technologies, because you just have to keep moving at all times. Yeah, that's the nature of the beast, right? There's no fixed um, sort of body of knowledge to tap into. And again, that's a, such a contrast to the world I grew up in. But I remember it's probably the mid 90s. I was talking to the lead recruiter for uh, NSA. And he was lamenting, oh, we can't hire, we haven't hired anybody from whatever it was, the top 10 engineering schools or something, you know, in the country in the last few years. And I, I said to him, well, stop looking, stop wasting your time. I said, what you need to do is find the lifelong learner, you know, because I, we'd already hit that inflection point that uh, Linny and I discussed, right? That is, you're not going to learn it all from the, the people that have been in the field for 30 years because it's changed so much. And so what you want are people who are, fascinated by technology and see themselves as lifelong learners, as you two clearly do. 
because you're going to find the future. We're not going to learn it from old people. You know, you're going to really have to craft your way through this business and build that kind of support network and sort of figure out efficient ways to gain that knowledge. And I think that's a really uh, important lesson. You know, and that's what I look for. I'm, I'm no longer in a position where I'm really hiring people directly, but you know, I'm looking for that kind of sort of self-directed energy to learn. And Sean, a little bit about that, because I know you, you you view yourself that way as a, as a person who learns. And uh, any any advice for the uh, audience about, you know, that the impact that has and how they can advance themselves in that way? Oh, no, hugely impactful. I mean, you've got to be curious. If you're not curious about the new technology, then you're like you're behind, if you know what I mean, in that space. So it's, it's the curiosity. And I think to what Linny was uh, stating as well, it's, there's so much um, content now that we can consume to inform ourselves and also be part of that community. We've never had, you know, as I was coming through uh, my ranks, as it were, to where I am today, never saw that opportunity appear until now. It's, you know, you could be on Twitch, you could be on YouTube uh, and, you know, have curated messages, uh, you know, uh, people are organizing their own uh, cybersecurity companies around both certification and training and making names for themselves in this space. So I think if you've um, got the curiosity, uh, the patience, I think that's the element of persistence that I talked about. Someone wants to listen to what you have to say to your journey and your perspective. And again, the resources that are available today, it's um, I think that's the other issue now is curating those resources for the ones that make sense to you and the ones that are going to inform and help you in a direction. Because, Tony, again, this is, you know, kind of my um, vision of it is... Um, there's a lot of specialization today. Like you say, you know, we didn't hear of Threat Hunter for, but for a few years now. That's been a career path, you know, from a forensics and incident response perspective. That was not necessarily a career path as I was coming up through the ranks maybe 15, 20 years ago. It was I was doing that at the same time as doing everything else. And so we've got such specialization uh, that I think the, the opportunities in the space are uh, abundant. And so I think you've got to find your passion uh, and uh, uh, and again, there's a lot of resources that can help you find that. Uh, but you've also got to contribute. I think, uh, uh, Linny, to your point as well, I think contribution is huge. You know, give back to the community because, I, I, like I mentioned before, there is such a wonderful community. There are some naysayers, obviously, in the space that are, um, you know, if you're uh, not uber uh, elite hacking, then you're not worthy of this particular group. But there's a lot of others in the in the community that want to contribute, want to help. Uh, and uh, so I think being able to be part of that is hugely important. Yeah, the, the groups I'm in are very much about holding the door open behind you. Um, the people who are have been here a little longer, have more experience, have more connections, they want to help. You know, the people who want to be here, we want them there. And so we want to make it, I don't want to say, you know, it's not easy, none of it's easy. But we want to give them opportunity and mentor them and steer them in the right direction because ultimately, you know, selfishly, it's going to help us as well because we're still in this field too. We need the right people who have that curiosity, who have that perseverance and, um, you know, want to help. It's a team sport. Yeah, that the, the word you used in there, Sean, was curation, right? Which is uh, you sort of have to, the, the way that knowledge is curated today is, is dramatically different in the past where it would come from, you know, you went to the right school, you know, you had the right, you, you published in the right places. And the, the things that Lenny talked about, you talked about and Thomas, you know, are about, you know, you're, you're um, 
your value becomes apparent, right? Is is critiqued near real time, you know, is and you're you're as good as your reputation, right? And a lot of that has to do with what you bring. You know, what do you give? And I think that's that's consistent with the way we think of this business here at the Center for Net Security. Not a shameless plug, but it's you know, this idea of the, the challenge we have today is not that there's a lack of information, it's that we're overwhelmed with information. So who can I trust, right? What are, what are, who are the, use, the people with useful skills and who are willing to tell me about them? And so it's finding them, bringing them together, learning from them, et cetera, is really the, the, the challenge that people face today. So all these attributes, you know, and, and when we think about how do we bring new people in, you know, we've, we've covered really a lot of different uh, areas here, even just in our brief chat today around the, the different routes and the different kinds of skills and the sort of uh, attitude and aptitude that people need. But so in, in the interest of time, though, uh, we'll, we'll find another occasion to talk about some more of these things in the future. But uh, any last thoughts? I'll offer a lightning round to the crew here. Any last thought? Any message you want to uh, reemphasize or something that we didn't uh, bring up that you'd like to point out to the audience? Uh, Lenny, how about you? Care to start us? Uh, well, I'd like to say for anyone who is trying to get into cybersecurity that there are many, many, many paths. Um, when you ask people in the field, how did you get in? How do I get in? What's the best way? You're going to get bombarded with a million different answers. Uh, and the reason for that is because, you know, even for as long as it has been around, cybersecurity still is relatively new, growing uh, industry. So the ways in are going to vary and they're going to change. And something that might have been a valid answer maybe 20 years ago might be a little skewed today. A little differently now that there are degree programs and boot camps and more internships and you know other ways in by doing competitions and CTFs and creating content online. So um, just go with what feels right to you. Um, try to um, enter different cybersecurity communities. Like I said, it's a team sport and networking is very important. Um, you know, find your niche and go for it. Um, and don't give up if it's something that you really want. And keep learning. Great stuff, Lydia. Thanks for sharing your nonlinear path into the uh, threat hunter business. It was very interesting. Uh, Thomas, any any uh, last thought from you or any last message? Well, uh, in my very limited experience, uh, it's all about persistence and networking. Um, knowing the right people to find the right opportunities at the right times is everything. Um, if you're trying to make it in the industry, there's plenty of jobs out there that are not particularly uh something that are, that's going to be great long term. There's plenty of companies that are willing to churn through large amounts of uh, of lower level people uh, and not worry about how it goes along the way. So just uh, just if you have the passion for it, keep going, keep moving and uh, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's all about persistence and happening to know the white right person at the right time. And uh, that's super easy for me to say because you are my dad, but <laughs> that definitely counts as knowing the white right person. <laughs> well, I, I'd be embarrassed to tell the audience here how little I've really helped you directly in your uh, career choices and in your path, Thomas. You've, you've earned your way into this business, no question. But I, but I think the lesson also is that um, you own your career, right? That, that's the, at the end of the day, you own your career. No one cares about it more than you as an individual. And so there are lots of resources, but it really is about your interest and willingness to find that network to learn from, to go for those resources that Lynn talked about. And I think that's, that's a wise stuff also. Sean, any last thought from you? you uh, you're my co-host, but I think I've actually interrogated you or questioned you the entire time here. So. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, Tony. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you. No, I think uh, Lenny put it the best way. I think um, 
it's about the failure, the getting up after failure. Because if, let's say the first time I entered into the industry, I failed the first time and I never went back, I, obviously I wouldn't be here. It, it's it's going to be failing um, and it's going to be constant. And what it is, uh, and for those that are looking to get in the industry, is, is try, just, you know, listen to a podcast, um, take some interest, look at a CTF. Um, one of the ones I would recommend, uh, and there's the one I've just finished, was the uh, Holiday Hack Challenge uh, from Counterhacker, sponsored mm -hmm. by Sense. Absolute phenomenal way just to get in. There's uh, exercises for those that are brand new to the industry. This gives you a taste of elements of forensics, of incident response, of penetration testing, even elements of programming, a, a really great uh, Python programming uh, game that's been created. So that gamification as well. But that's the, it's try. If you fail, it's not a problem. We've all done it. You just got to get back up and try again or try something in a different space in cybersecurity. But there's always going to be people there to help you. Uh, and uh, that's why I think building a community outreach is very important. And in a lot of cases, if you don't know, Google it. Someone has had the same problem <laughs> and they can get, you know, there'll be a curated answer somewhere. And so I no, think there's uh, such a great time to be part of this. Um, yeah, very, and, very wise. Yeah. Number one, the, the availability of, you know, no cost resources is just astounding, especially to someone like me that's been around a long time, right? They, now, again, the challenge is sorting it out, but I think that that is important. And you know, one of my lines, Sean, is, uh, you know, this business has been around long enough. It's hard to have an uh, a unique problem or an original <laughs> thought. So yes. your first action ought to be go figure out what other people know or have done. And then I'll, I'll wrap up with a quick, quick uh, point to, to sort of wrap up the, uh, you know, this, this business of failure, right? It's not a negative thing; it's a learning thing. And I think that, you know, I, I often joke. Again, have, I spent my career, uh, my first career, thirty-five years at the National Security Agency, working defense. And you want a lonely job? Go work defense at the National Security Agency. And I always said, if you want an easy job, go work offense. All they have to do is succeed once. Right, then there's a big victory and there's a parade for the good, you know, bad guys, etc. Yeah, it's all it's a really different kind of a job. But if you're going to work defense for a long period of time, there's a persistence that has come up uh, among all three of you that you've talked about. And I think that's important, right? So we, we think of failure as a terrible thing, but if we think of them as learning things, as you have all suggested, then I think you know, you, you, you are uh, in it for the long haul if you're working on defense. And so uh, with great thanks to all of you that work this kind of stuff, it's really a, a pleasure to be a part of this business. So with that, we're going to wrap up the episode. As always, a great conversation. I really appreciate that Lenny and Thomas joining us today and I look forward to having you guys back on another time. Uh, and maybe, maybe there'll be some more lessons learned that you can share with us. So we're wrapping up. Uh, you know, we're the, uh, This is the Center for Net Security's uh, Cybersecurity Where You Are podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to us in the usual ways and we really appreciate your time and attention. Look forward to talking to you again. Take care. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.